check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys. Hello, everyone, and welcome in to Debate Night. I'm Hunter, joined as always by Brody and Silas. And a quick note before we get into today's episode, we're actually... Today's episode is not going to be monetized, so if you're listening, you're not going to hear any ads, and if you're watching here on YouTube, you're not going to see any ads before the show, during the show, or after the show. Uh, this will be not monetized at all, um, but with that being said, let's actually toss it over to Brody, who just wanted to go ahead, clear the air, go on record, and uh, get this Twitter beef over with, if you will. Yeah, crazy, crazy last week, um, you know, and I think, obviously, it's we, we, needed, we needed to address it, and a lot of that, obviously, goes on me. Um, I know initially when this all went down, uh, we had discussed and we'll go into this here a little bit. We had discussed trying to make it as smooth and as clean as possible. Um, and I probably dropped the ball on that. And, you know, we've talked off air about, um, me kind of messing up. And so, and I've, you know, obviously I've apologized on some of my social media accounts already about it. Um, kind of getting sucked into the drama aspect of it. And, you know, for the listeners watching now, I just want to apologize as well, because I do think some of my actions um, haven't been good. And uh, that's not really how I want to act online. And that's not really how I want to um, just be as a person. I think some of the stuff I did was kind of petty and stuff like that. And um, I think a lot of it stemmed from me not me not really being able to come out and like tell my side of the story and having a lot of people generate their own idea of what happened. And instead of me just being okay with what happened and, and moving forward, um, I kind of stirred the pot in like kind of pointing people in certain directions. And I think that ultimately kind of made it worse to where now we do have to address it because it has come to the point of where, you know, I think before there was maybe a handful of people, it was no shocker if you watched live or if you watched coverage of when me and Paul were on lead card or chase card or whatever it was, there was no interaction there. Um, so it doesn't really take a rocket scientist to see like, oh, something has to be going on because these two guys were friends. They were in a lot of videos together. Um, and now they don't speak to one another. Um, so I do want to apologize for that. I do want to get clear also on a couple things. I think some people are confused by no way. Do I think I have a better disc golf career than Paul uh, by no way. Do I think that I'm a better disc golfer than Paul? I think those two things are very clear. I'll be the first one to tell you where my standings are, um, on the pro tour. Uh, I do think I still have obviously a lot to give. I still think I can hopefully at one point get to a level to where I can compete maybe at that level week in, week out. But as of right now, it's clear. Look at the standings. It doesn't take more than five seconds to see that there's a clear gap there. So the I think a lot of people kind of got upset with some of my comments in regards to like a rivalry and all this stuff. My point there was just trying to say like, we don't always have to be friends with everyone on tour not everyone has to get along now how they handle that off the course i think is one thing and i think i did handle that poorly um and that's something that i'm going to try to work on of trying to keep my head down like i said and focus on myself focus on foundation and, and move forward 
try not to get caught up into the drama as much as I did. So that is kind of where we're at on that. Um, this all spurred, if you haven't seen it yet, this all spurred from essentially the Nico situation, which is kind of crazy how uh, that was like the talk of the town, right? Everyone was talking about Nico. And um, Paul came out with, I think it was two Instagram stories uh, mm. that were basically just text. And if you haven't seen those, I don't, they're probably somewhere on the internet that you can pull up. But essentially, I saw that from, I think, my Facebook collector group. It got posted somewhere on Facebook to where I saw it. And it's like a weird thing of like, this is where it's tough because I was trying, I, I think I did initially, I think I did an okay job of getting my opinion on, on the issue out there. And, and, uh, cause Paul has probably the biggest voice in disc golf. I think we can all agree to that of where if Paul says something, um, I think you see a lot of fans agree with it. Uh, and then I think you also just have a lot of players that necessarily might not want to disagree with Paul, right? Because that can be kind of devastating, um, a little bit. And you can go to my, uh, I mean, heck, you can go to the collector page. I don't, go, I don't know if you guys have checked that out, but like there has been a, uh, a, a big uh, increase on the collector page of people um, that are heavily disagreeing with me. And I'm completely fine with that. Obviously, I don't want certain areas to just be yes men of where everything I say, everyone's just like, yes, yes, 100%. And this was a situation too, where I think Hunter, you you know, offline we've talked about it. People on social media have shown me how I didn't handle the situation well because I could have kept my point of saying, "Hey, I don't know if attacking the official is the best thing to do," and we can get a little bit into the whole Nico situation, what we feel about the suspension, what we feel is right, is it too much? We can get into that after this, but like that's how I should have just helped. I, I should have. I should have handled it as if Calvin said something or Ricky or uh, Eagle or Simon. I should have handled it that way versus I have all this kind of built up stuff against Paul. And I think that got out. And that's where I think what kind of led to this. Does that make sense? Is, am I kind of making sense? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. A, a little bit. Um. And so my whole thing was like, I just want to give my opinion of, I don't know if the best thing to do with the Nico suspension and everything is put it off as like, it wasn't that big of a deal or the official didn't get intimidated. So technically what Nico was doing wasn't intimidating. Um, I wanted to give that thought, like that's a secondary thought of how, no, I do think this is wrong. And then if we want to discuss like what should happen from that, I think that's fine. But I don't think we should downplay the scenario was my thought. Mm -hmm. um, I should have left it at that. Then obviously a bunch of comments came on and someone had posed a question to Paul about it. And Paul came back with the response of saying, I'm blocked. Um, and then I confirmed that he was blocked. And then that was, I think, the spiral um, of where every, I mean, even though he has been blocked, maybe, gosh, I'm trying to think. I think I literally blocked him maybe not that long after he left. 
Yeah, like January, opinion. February. Yeah. So, um, and a lot of people are like, why'd you block him? Why'd you block him? To me, I thought it was kind of funny because knowing Paul, I know he likes to kind of stay in the know of everything. And so to me, I thought it would be funny to block him, to make him have to like sign out of his Twitter and sign into someone else's Twitter to see what I'm saying. I thought that would be kind of funny. Uh, but yeah, that's that I blocked him because I don't want to see any of his stuff and I want to make it I want to make it harder for him if he wants to see my stuff. Um, so that's kind of where we're at. I guess now we can kind of give a little more of like a backstory of how we got here. Like why, why is Brody upset? Why is Brody? Um, I don't know why I'm talking in third person, but why, <laughs> I, uh, why I'm at the stage I am. And then the goal from all of this is to give at least some information out to you guys to where people, cause again, this is something that is gotten out there. My fault, hundred percent. We need to address it, and then that way we can move on. I can learn from it, and hopefully we don't have to go down this path again. But because it is a social media thing, and because this is one of those things where me and Paul aren't going anywhere, we're going to stay on uh, playing tournaments and stuff together, that it's not one of those of where it's just like, oh, people will forget about it. It's like, no, this will get brought up every single time uh, there's any sort of interaction between us. So want to get that clear. Um, and, uh, yeah, again, just apologize for having to do this. Apologize for you guys to have to, you know, start debate night this way, um, and, uh, get this out and then move on. Yeah, it makes sense. So you want to go through kind of how you got to the, where you even blocked Paul? Do you want to go through that at all? Yeah. Do we want to start with like a timeline of kind of the leading up to the point of that? situation on uh, just from like the the business side just a little bit of just how like me getting into foundation like just from the ground floor there was obviously lots of talk of you know paul being you know his his having his disc golf career being what it was me having my social media career being what it was being able to work together to kind of build um what initially was just kind of a small retail store right? Like a small online mm-hmm. store to having more of a presence in disc golf. Um, mm-hmm. That was kind of our thought. And going into it, obviously everything was in Lynchburg because that's where everyone was. That's where the store was. That's where everything originated. Me being in Dallas, there was always talk about, hey, when the time is right, when, when, when I can eventually move over there, because obviously moving from Dallas where Kelsey has always basically lived, to Lynchburg is a massive move for our family. Um, when the timing was right, I'll make that move. And now that I'm in Lynchburg with everyone, we can kind of really like escalate and um, not escalate. What's the word that's like accelerate? We can really accelerate yeah. a lot of things versus me being uh, <clears throat> away from a Lynchburg. So that was the thought process um, of all of that. And, um, essentially when that all went down of like, okay, guys, I think I'm going to be moving. Uh, we went, I came up to Lynchburg several times to look for houses with Kelsey. Um, all that was going on. I thought everything was still groovy. It seemed like everything was still good. We were all doing videos. We were doing social media. Everything was still groovy. And then we ended up, uh, making the big move with the three corgis, put them in the car 
drove up to Lynchburg, <laughs> moved in, and I don't know. I don't know exactly. You'll probably have a better idea of when that was, but it wasn't that long after. I would say, maybe a month. No, it was about a a month or so. Yeah, a month or so. A month or so transpired, and um, we initially were talking about like, hey, let's let's all get together and talk, and like we need to kind of figure out some stuff to move forward. And essentially, he then said, "Well, I need to talk to you guys," and kind of I don't know what the right word is but we were kind of just like um didn't see it coming I guess might have been the right word yeah yeah Yeah. um of where he just essentially was uh and I don't know how much details this is why I think it would be better for you to talk because I don't know how many details yeah well I can give a little bit um because I understand Paul's side a little bit more obviously because I started the business alongside him and I think what ended up happening is to progress to where we're at right now this past off season um it essentially was when foundation started we wanted to be a much more small central like central virginia lynchburg hub type thing right where we wanted to be like the disc golf shop for this area all of that stuff and the online store was more of a like a way to do so because we, we didn't think the Lynchburg area could fund us, which was correct. You know, it's not a huge disc golf hub, but that's where we were. That's where we, we were passionate about. So we wanted to use the online store as a way to have money to pour into the local scene. That was how Foundation started. You know, fast forward a year into it or whatever, when you stepped in, um, the opportunity came to kind of pivot what Foundation was and what Foundation could be to something much bigger. Um it was, we all move forward because it's a no-brainer move, right? Like you have someone coming in who has so much social media uh, presence and stuff like that, can teach us a lot more about the media side, which is something I was very passionate about, and and help take the online store to another level, um, that there is a kind of a shift in foundation at that point. And I think what essentially happened more or less is that happened during COVID. Obviously, you and Paul were able to be here. We're all just kind of during that time frame, we were all kind of killing it, right? Like we're all pitching in, doing literally everything for the business we could do. But it was an unrealistic expectation because it was in the middle of COVID. There was no disc golf. There was nothing else pulling attentions away. Um, Disc golf starts back up, all of that. Foundation continues on this new path of online store focus, local scene we're going to try to get a retail store someday which now we do have um which is awesome to have and support we're able to support the local scene a lot more um that kind of got pushed the the focus shifted a little bit and i think that focus shift happened in my mind and that's the focus shift you brought in but i don't think that's the focus shift that paul ever had because he was still passionate about the local scene um and the you know what foundation started as if that makes sense so I think building up to when you moved up here, you moved up here with the intention of like, hey, let's kill social media, let's kill the online store, all of that. And I think that's where it just, Paul wasn't on the same page with that. So then he came in and was like, hey, let's have a meeting. Because now at this point also, he had the Paul and Beth Foundation started. Um, you know, obviously his touring career, he was trying to still focus on that. He had, he had a lot of different things pulling him different directions. He also, at that time, was still trying to build out his course here, which I, um, I don't know what the full plan is for that now, but uh, he was still building that out. He had a lot of other things going on, and he felt, when he was talking to us, exactly like our post had said, he felt like he just couldn't dedicate the amount of time that basically you and I were dedicating to Foundation, and he felt, I guess, in a sense, guilty about that. Um, 
and was like, I don't know what to do. We talked through several different options, and that's when it led to, okay, so basically the best option here is Paul to be bought out of the business and foundation move on on this path, and that way Paul has... Because basically Paul's plate, something had to give, and it was like, which one of these items is going to give? Um, And timing-wise, that just obviously sucked for you because you had just moved your whole life up here, like you said. Um, And your intention was move your whole life up here. You know, you and Paul, this off season, you, Paul, me, Trevor, we're just going to kill it with videos, get a ton of content out, you know, really drive traffic, really do a bunch of stuff. And then as soon as you get up here, essentially this meeting happened um, that essentially was like, hey, I don't know if I can dedicate this much time and stuff. And you're like, well, what do you mean? I just moved up here. Uh, Is that kind of more or less accurate? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So basically it's just, it's the the timing of you just moved your whole life up here. All the nitty gritty, but yeah, essentially it, again, this would be a different, this would be a completely different scenario had me and Paul not had any friendship and it was Mm -hmm. strictly, it was a strictly business thing. I would just be pissed at the person on a business move because it's like, you knew I was moving up here for months. Um, your situation in those months didn't change. It wasn't like something drastically happened to where it's like, Hey guys, I just got triplets. Uh, I'm, I, I'm going to be swamped. I'm not going to have time for this. Um, so that's where it's like, it, there was, there wasn't a moment of where something drastically changed in his lifestyle or his life Mm -hmm. to where I could be like, I could relate to like, Oh snap, dude, I completely understand if you need to take a break or you can't give as much to foundation as, as we all expected you to, uh, completely understand that didn't happen. Um, no conversation happened between me and him. Um, it wasn't until I was already moved up there that all of a sudden he was like, I'm out. And that is where it's like, again, if it was a business only thing, it's, it is what it is. I would just leave it as like, well, I kind of just got screwed over by that business owner. That sucks. But because there is that friendship that was going Mm -hmm. into it, that's where, again, that's why a lot of times people say like, don't get into business with your friends because it does, it does get tricky sometimes. And that's where I just felt like, ah, there probably should have been some, there probably should have been some sort of conversation there. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and this is where I think, to easily kind of relate it to a lot of other people. It wasn't like we were moving from Dallas to New York. It wasn't like we were moving from Dallas to Atlanta or Dallas to Chicago. We were moving from Dallas to Lynchburg, Virginia. It, it is a drastic for those that, <laughs> for those that don't live in a small town or have never lived in a small town. It, I mean, it is a drastic a change of pace. Drastic change. And like just from my standpoint, not even not even talking about Kelsey moving away from her whole family and all that, just from my standpoint on like a business side, like I can't even just fly direct. Like I now have to fly to <laughs> fly from a regional airport to Charlotte and then Charlotte to somewhere else. And so mm-hmm. just from a business standpoint, I'm now spending, you know, an hour to two hours plus every single time I need to go somewhere. Um yeah. And and that was one thing, obviously, from me moving to Dallas, there was a lot of factors into that. But like living somewhere, because I used to live in Jacksonville, 
in Jacksonville, a lot of times was very similar of where I think it was at Jacksonville to Atlanta, I want to say. You had to fly to Atlanta then to be able to fly anywhere else. It might be different now than what it was. Um, but that was like a huge factor for me. It was like just saving. If you're, you know, if I'm flying 300, 400, 500,000 miles a year, you know, being able to shave off some of those times to stay home with, <coughs> with the family a little bit more, <coughs> excuse me, is important. So, mm-hmm. so I think that kind of just shows the timeline, I guess, of how things kind of happen um, of that. But even then, like at that point, you can probably be upset with someone. But is that enough to really like completely end a relationship? I don't think so. I think it it could have been something from there that we could have mended and like talked about and been like, oh, man, I dropped the ball here. I'm sorry. Yeah, I dropped the ball here, too. I'm sorry. And gone forward. The, mm-hmm. the, the thing on the cake, if you will, or the thing that really ended up cracking the egg. Um, and again, I'm going to keep this. Uh, very vague so no one else is kind of thrown into the mix here um but a mutual friend of ours uh ended up doing something on a very personal level um and i'm one of those people of where my me myself and my family come before everything else and if something ends up if i end up finding out something about that that is not good and I find out that you are somehow connected to it. Uh, at that point, the friendship is gonna probably be gonna probably be tarnished. Mm-hmm. Um, on top of that, that's where I confronted Paul and I said, "Listen, I just got a really reliable source that told me this. Our, one of our mutual friends did this thing. Uh, is that true?" And he said, "No, no, not at all." Um, I later found out from an even more reliable source, uh, that not only did the mutual friend do that, but also Paul was in a situation to where could have made that not happen at the beginning. So like he lied to me about that and he was kind of connected to it in a certain way. That was just a no brainer. I'm not interested in continuing Mm -hmm. a friendship with that person. And, um, I'm just going to leave it at that. So that's kind of where I was at, obviously in my standpoint, like, again, like that's where I was just very upset with everything. And I did not do a good job of seeing people online say like, oh, this is why Paul left foundation, or this is why Paul and Brody are no longer friends, or this is why Paul and, or this is why Brody blocked Paul. I should have been better at just like letting it go and just being mm-hmm. like, is what it is. Let people, you know, whatever. And also it should never have gotten that far. It was my fault that I even got to that point. So, um, these are all things that I've learned. Obviously I don't, I don't really handle drama that well. That's something that I definitely need to work on and do better. And I think the, the, the less I get into that realm of the world, the better. And so I'm just, again, I'm going to try to completely remove myself of it as much as possible. Um, obviously, I know this show, we do talk about some things that are happening. I'm going to try to do my best to not like, let's not talk about like the drama stuff so much on this show. Let's yeah. keep it more disc golf related stuff that's going on with the PDGA, the pro tour, 
Um, if it is dealing with pros, let's talk about stuff that's happening in between the ropes, if you will, not outside of the ropes, um, and move forward from that. But hopefully that kind of clears up the air of where me and Paul are at. Um, it is not going to be a, I do forgive. Like, I don't think it's good to hold something like that. I, I, I think I have been holding it for a while and I think it, it brings a lot of negative energy and ultimately is not a good thing. So I do forgive and I, I want to move on from it. And, and obviously it's not going to just go over overnight. Obviously there's going to still be tons of comments, tons of people saying this doesn't make sense. What's going on with this? Why? What I've said here is all I'm going to say. I'm not going to be liking tweets on Twitter anymore of people saying certain things where I'm like, yes, yes, that is what actually happened. That is, I'm not going to be doing any of that. Mm -hmm. This is all you're going to hear from me from this situation. Not going to bring it up anymore. I'm going to move on from it and uh, focus on what I can focus on. And that's that. I don't know if there's anything yeah. else to be said on her. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think one of the biggest reasons we had to, had to talk about it to a certain extent was the rumor mill had started churning and stuff was getting said about people, you know, you, Paul, Kelsey, Hannah, that just none of, none of it was true. And it's stuff where like, you don't want something like that to get picked up. Um, and people be like, oh, that, ha that makes a lot of sense. That has to be the reason. And then Hannah's name get drugged through the mud or Kelsey's name get drugged through the mud or yours or Paul's when like, realistically when people sit back and listen it's pretty obvious like you admitted you made some mistakes you know paul made some mistakes friendships don't always just work out so it's it's a very like personal thing at the end of the day that's just made public because of social media and like i said on on grip locked you know it's the majority of listeners it's not something that's like super like oh brody just dropped a bomb oh my gosh i absolutely hate paul now or if you're a paul fan you're like dude brody's a scumbag I absolutely hate Brody. like no it's something where like I don't think it really should affect people too, too much as far as like perspectives of one person or the other. People make mistakes. It happened. Uh, and it, like you said, it happened on both sides and it's time to move on. But I think it's good to, to clear the air so that, like I said, rumors don't spread and people make a bigger deal out of it than it should be. And also so that because I saw several people saying stuff about Kelsey and Hannah and stuff like that. And you don't want them getting brought into something that is obviously untrue because, I mean, that's happened before with other rumors and stuff so i think it's good just to get out there it's out there move on um and hopefully that made made sense to everyone it made sense to me so hopefully everyone's satisfied and happy now but let's get back to what started this whole thing the nico suspension yeah. um we talked through the actual suspension length stuff like that on well, no, grip locked but oh, okay yeah i was gonna say i think we only we only knew that it had happened yeah, we we PDJ didn't know the suspension looked, length yet. The PDJ was looking into it. We didn't know yeah. anything outside of that. Yeah, so I mean, because we talked about it on Grip Locked, and Trevor and I were split a little bit. But I more want to hear your side as a player, because um, because if you look at like what Paul's take was, Paul had some technically true things, right? Like it technically was Nico's first time offense. That is mm -hmm. technically true. It was an yep. ongoing thing. Uh, one thing that I think Paul didn't allude to that. Um, I think it's a very important piece of information here is when the camera stopped covering it, it that's wasn't huge. like Nico just dropped the ball. Like that's not, it's not like the camera stopped covering and the situation was over. Well, apparently, also he refused to talk to anyone after the round. Which exactly. Think, well, yeah, I think that made the issue way. I think something could have, I don't know if there would have been that big of an issue if he would have 
quickly been able to compose himself after the round and said like, mm-hmm. "Hey, let's sit down, let's talk about it." Because that's essentially. Well, this is also yeah. The other this is also somewhat hearsay because it's just people who were there and it's been passed through multiple people. But apparently, like he continued to go after the official, not like in a physical way by any means. I haven't heard I anything physical. That I think reputable, reputable, reputable. Yes, people? I'm just saying we didn't. I didn't see it with my own eyes. Oh, is why I'm saying it's saying, hearsay. Like I. I can't say 100% this happened, but people who should know it happened have said like he continued to go after the official to where the intimidation wasn't just what we saw on screen. I think mm-hmm. it's important to note as well. Um, but then, you know, it comes through. PJ suspends him for nine months, which within their guidelines, honestly, is a somewhat light suspension to what it could have been because it could have been for a class two A years. offense, two years. Um, so nine months is somewhat light. The thing that... Tr- shifted trevor's mind set was the loss of income across those Mm -hmm. nine months um to me i don't see like i i don't know how much that needs to be factored in but i want to know your perspective as a player like seeing something like this happen uh does your i don't want to say safety but like uh maybe job security is the right word like does it do you feel affected by the pdj's decision of like you're now more worried about stuff on the course because you feel like they were too harsh with it or do you think no like so, that's fair just treat like i just need to be a professional yeah so i mean let's let's kind of think about let's think about this a little bit of where i think the first thing that's a clear and obvious one is had it not been nico i don't think the suspension link would had have been would have been as severe now mm-hmm. is that because that person might have been able to talk after the round with someone um potentially for sure but to think that nico's kind of reputation didn't have any sort of bearing into this i think is a little naive um mm-hmm. it's very similar to like nadamakan sue in the nfl someone that uh is kind of like not like a pretty known dirty player like whenever he did something it was it, more eyes were on him essentially mm-hmm. right and in this situation like all eyes were on nico uh and i was not when it came out with the nine month suspension i was not shocked because i knew one he had all that stuff kind of built up going into this and then two i knew the pdga was going to make an example out of nico which is yeah that sucks but that is like a common theme in a lot of different other sports of where something happens that's kind of unprecedented on live, a live coverage like that. They're going to lay the hammer down a little bit harder to kind of scare everyone. Now we can talk yeah. more about what we think it should have been um, because I have some interesting ideas on that. But in regards to like me being fearful, like this is also a question that people need to have. Like, how do you want your sport to be, uh, how do you want your sport? Cause we talk about this all the time. Like disc golf is different. Disc golf is different. And it's like, okay, if you are on that line of like, well, disc golf isn't like golf. We should be different. Like, do you want disc golf to be like hockey where mm-hmm. guys can literally meet each other and throw down their discs and start punching each other? Do Heck. you want golf to be like baseball where you can come up to someone and essentially yell so loudly that your spit is is hitting them in the face like do you is that what you want these are all questions that i think maybe people have different opinions on of mm-hmm. how they want 
Um, same thing like tennis. Tennis is another sport where it is not uncommon for someone to get upset with the official, with the umpire, and go up to the chair. I think it's the chair umpire, actually. Go up to the chair umpire and yell at the chair umpire, right? These are, these are all things that happen in other sports. Now, does that happen in golf? No. I, it would be hard for me to find another situation on live coverage where someone did what Nico did. Of mm-hmm. Got up to someone's face, then that person left, and then he re-got up into someone's face. I'm sure you can find somewhere where two people are talking and one is like yelling or getting very aggressive with the official. I'm sure you can see that. But... Essentially, in the, in, in the, where they redid it, I think that also was an issue. If it would have just been the first altercation, the guy leaves and Nico just yells at him from a distance, I think it would have been not as big of a deal. Like, it wouldn't have been as elevated. But him, like, re-getting up into the face, kind of re-engaging, I think that's probably what also made the whoever's on the um, disciplinary what, 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 what committee called? Disciplinary. Whoever's on that, probably that that escalated, I'm sure, the uh, mm-hmm. the offense, if you will. Um, but as a player, I mean I mean, Nico at one point, I think there's video of him like kicking his mini and it like shot off and like hit a camera guy, I think. Like yeah. again, unintentional, but like something looking like that. Like at the end of the day, you if you are in control of your emotions and control of what you're doing, like those situations shouldn't happen right? Mm-hmm. Like you're pissed off and you're going to take your Frisbee and just like spike it into the ground and it somehow slips or you grip lock it instead of spiking into the ground, it like flings off your finger and hits a kid in the chest. Like if you just didn't do that initial reaction, that, that situation never would have occurred. And so yeah. I think that's the same thing of like, there's been plenty of times where players have gotten frustrated. I think the question is like, what is accept- acceptable behavior when you're frustrated and what isn't do you want what nico did acceptable that is at the end of the day what everyone has to answer and if you answer one yes or if you answer no then we can have a discussion of that but what the pdj essentially showed is like his behavior is not currently his behavior is not acceptable Mm -hmm. another question that we need to have is like should the pdga should they be like when they look at the disc golf pro tour and this kind of goes into Trevor's standpoint a little bit, suspending someone that plays disc golf as a hobby for nine months is completely different than suspending someone that plays disc golf for a living for nine months, right? If Silas goes out to a local flex start and uh, intimidates someone by getting up in their face and be like, did you just call me on a football? Did you just call me on a football? And doing that, the PDGA has, I think, every right to be like, we don't want this guy... In, in competing in our events for X amount of time. Yeah. This is where it's tricky because if Silas gets booted there, it's like Silas is like, oh, that sucks. I can't play like events, but he can still play disc golf and he's still going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Nico not playing in disc golf pro tour events, that really, really hurts him. Yeah. Now, the question is like, this is where if disc golf was on the level and this is where it's tough because if disc golf was on the same level as the sports I had mentioned earlier, right. Mm -hmm. It would probably have been like a one or two tournament suspension and it would have been a fine 20,000, 25,000, 50,000. Now the tricky thing about that 
is okay. Well, you, you're finding Nico twenty five fifty. Well, that's going to be different than if you're finding uh, the sixtieth player in the world twenty five thousand or fifty thousand. And then it's going to be really different if you're finding Paul or Ricky twenty five fifty thousand. You find Paul mm-hmm. or Ricky twenty five fifty thousand, you're like ah, that sucks, but whatever. Yeah. So like that's where it's also weird because there is such a difference from the top 10 guys to the next 10 to the next 10 of like how much people are making that you're finding someone $25,000. That's equivalent to them winning like four, four elite series events. Yeah. Um, so these are all like, it is not an easy question. I don't actually think there's like an obvious answer of how it should have gone down as far as like, no, he should have definitely gotten suspended for this. He should, it should have been this long, yada, yada, yada. All I know is like what he did, this is what I think. What he did was incorrect. I don't think that is how you should react. If you want to react negatively, we have tons of guys that do it, myself including, that have like outbursts of negative reaction, but it's all like on myself and it's all on their selves. Um, that's fine. I'm not a huge fan of people like continuing it down the fairway or like continuing it in your pre-shot and all that stuff. That does happen. That's why I think I kind of draw the line a little bit. But like going up to an official and getting in an official's face, I think hopefully everyone sees like they don't want that to be a common occurrence in disc golf. Yeah. Um, I do feel for Nico in a little bit of a way because, like I said, he is the one that's kind of getting, um, you know, him being the first one, it being on live coverage, all these things happening. Like he's being made an example of. So I feel for him on that. I also feel the fact that because he has the history that he does have, it's getting thrown down on him harder than it should have. I will say this, like I do enjoy playing with Nico. I do enjoy my conversations with Nico off the, off the course as well. Um, but this is something, and hopefully this is kind of like his rock bottom of where it's like, man, I really do need to change some things mm-hmm. um, to move forward. Um, yeah. Because, I do think his playing style as a player is something that is needed in disc golf. Absolutely. Uh, him as a personality outside of like the negative stuff is again, something that is needed in disc golf. I think he adds a lot to it. And so obviously from that side of point, I hope he does figure it out and, and, and work on it and get better and come back and, and play more. Um, because I do think tournaments are more exciting when he's in the mix. Absolutely. And I think um, the reason it's such a weird fine line is at least twofold. A, um, this, isn't, this wasn't a pro tour event. It was a PDGA major. So it's just strictly by PDGA. And the PDGA and the pro tour for, this, for that matter don't have a way to separate touring pros from just pros, right? Because mm-hmm. like, I am technically a PDGA professional, by yes. meaning I, I pay $75 a year. It's basically what that means. Um, so by the PDGA standard, like you and I are on a level playing field mm-hmm. when they look at us, we are both the same type of player, but obviously that's not true because like you're saying, if I get suspended nine months, meh, that sucked. Like I, I, I've played one tournament in the last nine months is what it is. It sucks. You get suspended nine months or Nico, that looks a lot different, but for the PDGA right now, there is no separation. So when they're looking at it by the rules and objectively, we have to be under the same rules right now. Um, and I think that's where the next step is like, A, I think the Pro Tour needs to have a separate set of rules for Pro Tour events. And I think it would be smart for majors to somehow, maybe the Pro Tour 
pro tour players are still expected to act in the code of conduct at majors or something. I don't know exactly know how it would work, um, but something like that lines up. And I think the pro tour players, that's where a tour card comes in play because that could be what separates, you know, the average hobbyist from a touring player is, mm-hmm. Hey, if you have a tour card, you, it is a privilege to play on the pro tour. It's a privilege to play at these majors. So with that privilege comes this set of responsibilities and within these responsibilities, that's where it's fine to find someone. Because it's also like, if the PDGA goes straight fine, then if a touring professional gets fined 10 grand or whatever, like you said, there's a, there's a wide array where some it's yeah, not going to work, some it's easy. You can't find like a local pro $10,000. Yeah, but then if I show up and I get fined 10 grand, I'm like, what the frick? I play one tournament a year. Like, <laughs> I'm just never playing disc golf again. You know what I'm saying? So like, yeah, the line has to be drawn but, somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. The line has to be drawn somewhere. So I think that's the the key issue that has to be fixed is there there has to be a line that separates touring professionals from your average hobbyist. Yeah, and 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 again, like these are all things where now the the PDGA if if the Disc Golf Pro Tour and the PGA continue on to like using these kind of terms um, or policies for discipline moving forward, there is now a precedent of what Nico did and again, I do think it was not only um, uh, elevated because of him re kind of getting into mm-hmm. the guy's, but also the yeah. fact that after the fact, he refused to talk to anyone about it, which I think is another PDJ policy of where if something happens, like I think they, I think you have to talk to them afterwards. I'm pretty sure. I think I saw that in the policy of where possibly I'm not, I'm not hundred percent sure. I think someone brought that up of like that's like the, like a double strike. It's kind obviously of a good idea, even if it's not a hundred percent policy. I, I, think I saw wording. I, I almost yeah. re- I vaguely remember seeing an image where it's like highlighted talking about like the PGA or the official or the TD or someone will discuss and like so that was frowned upon, obviously too. But this is now a precedent of like what he did was nine months. So like this is where it's gonna be interesting because moving forward, we're gonna see you know, do they stick with that? Or is like each, each situation completely different? Does it matter actually who did it versus, um, uh, the action, but like thinking all about this, like, I think if, if the PDJ would have said, Hey, we're suspending you for two months, right? Mm-hmm. He would have basically ended up missing mid America, Ledstone, Des Moines and worlds. That's pretty devastating. Yeah. That's like pretty bad. So like, that's where, again, I I don't know exactly how many months it should have been. I don't know if there should have been a fine. I don't know anything about that. All I, all I can say is like being, being just taking out of worlds and saying like, you can't play worlds this year. That hurts. That hurts pretty hard. So the nine months thinking about that, like all of that's gone. Uh, playoffs, which he was going to qualify for, that's gone. Tour championship, he was probably going to get into that. The tour that- championship's an interesting one because it's not PDGA sanctioned, I don't believe. Oh, so that's a. I believe I could be. I could be wrong. Well, like USDGC, I, I don't know still, if that is. USDGC is still PGA sanctioned, but it's just like an X tier. Yes, it is, so but like out. It, he's out of it. Yes, but the yeah. Pro Tour, tour championship. championship- it would be interesting. I'm gonna look it. I'm gonna look it up to see if it's PDGA sanctioned. Because if it that wasn't, is. then that's just up to the Disc Golf Pro Tour. Yeah, 
but yeah, I mean, this is this is going to be, you know, this is something that obviously needs to be discussed. I, I think, again, this is one of those where I think civil discussion about it is is important. Um, and I do think a lot of people probably coming into this situation are bringing in all the things that uh, he did in the past. Mm-hmm. And so when you do that. It is sanctioned. OK, I was wrong then. I think in the okay. past it wasn't because there was some like the format or something, but yeah, never mind. he's out to like Waco or something next year. Yeah. And to me, what I was expecting was a suspension to like the end of the year. That's what I was expecting. Cause, cause it technically would have been like a long suspension, but it would have just been through yeah. October really. And then the next season you can just start fresh. Like you can come back in January. That's Maybe where I, my head is at. Yeah. If I had to say whether nine months was too long or too short, I would, I would probably side on the too long side. Yeah. I would side on the too long. I was just looking at the PDJ rules and I was thinking it's going to be multiple months. It could be up to two years. Two years would have ended his career. So I'm glad they didn't go that way because you don't come back from two year suspension. Um, so I was looking at it and I was expecting it to be like end of the year, possibly like a few months to where it was through November. Um, just judging by the PDGA guidelines, I agree what would have been a better thing would have been a not even a month length, but like X amount of events plus a small fine. That in my mind is like the best solution, but that only works for, excuse me, that only works for touring pros. And that's my whole point is like, there is no separation because like if you suspend me from five events, then I can just sign up for five events in one weekend and be like, all right, can't play those. I'm back the next weekend. And then if you find me, like that doesn't make any sense. You can't be just finding people who weekend warriors, you know, thousands of dollars or hundreds of dollars or any amount would be incorrect to find a random hobbyist. But nine months would have been fair for me because like no one in the local scene, if I did that to a local official, no one in the local scene would want to see me for nine months. That makes sense. Yeah. So I think that's where it, there just has to be a separation. It, it is a committee that I do not have any interest in being on because it seems like it would be so hard to make the right decisions because again, well, think- like that, there's so many... There's so many different uh, levels of players and there's so yeah. many different players on the pro tour. So even if mm-hmm. you were just like, hey, this is how we're going to handle people that aren't on the pro tour. This is how we're going to handle people that are on the pro tour. Even the way you handle people on the pro tour is going to be vastly, vastly different. Like it's so hard to like. It could, it could also be, um, well, A, I think, that, I think it should be said the PDGA made the right decision because of how things currently are. So, like, with the current guidelines and stuff, the PDGA made the decision they had to make because, Mm -hmm. like, you had to treat it just like any other player. You couldn't treat it special because... Now, if they did treat it special because it's Nico in a negative way, that's the wrong decision. Correct. Um, So, if it was, like, any bias shown towards Nico, that's the wrong decision. But as far as... I have a hard time seeing, like, I'll just throw, like, someone that I, you know, is, like, a no-nice guy, like a Zach Melton. I have a hard time if you literally throw zach melton into nico's body no if you throw nico into zach melton's body and that exact thing transpires on live coverage i have a hard time seeing like and i could be wrong i could be wrong but i i have a hard I time hope, i would hope you're wrong but i also fully understand what you're saying you're like i i agree it's a hard it's hard to imagine a big germ kevin jones zach melton uh someone like that getting the same type of treatment um but what i think the right decision is is i think the pro tour like i said tour card it seems like they're already heading that way once they're there i think it's a it could even be either or what well i was gonna say different rules and then also different policy too they can have they can have their own situation of like 
if if the Nico situation happens, you are going to be suspended from the next four elite series slash majors, whatever comes first situation kind of thing like mm-hmm. that. And you will be fined X amount of dollars. Well, that's what I was saying is I think that the fine, it can be like, like, let's say that a, it was a $5,000 fine. That's high. Two event suspension. Or, but I'm saying, or you $5,000 fine, two event suspension, or your options are do that or no fine and like a six event suspension. Oh, so player, then, player, player decision. Well, well, that way, if it's a player who can't afford the fine, right? Like, because because disc golf is such a delicate thing where you have players that like a $5,000 fine is oh, I don't, nothing. Like, there's I'm a rounding to, error on my accounting balance sheet, and a $5,000 fine is like, I literally can't play disc golf again. I know, but I'm going to have to disagree with you on that because um, I do like it in the sense of like the player can kind of bet on themselves. It'd be like, oh, I'm going to pay the fine. I can make that back up in these tournaments. So I kind of like that, just kind of <laughs> like that aspect of it. But like if you are a player that are, is living, uh, living by, uh, you know, tournament to tournament, right? And we know that mm-hmm. there are players on tour right now that, Literally, they need a cash to stay on tour, essentially. If you do the 5000 and this is where I think we get some of the comments of where, like, if you know that that's how you are, then just don't make, up, don't make that mistake. And it's like, yes, I kind of understand that. It's, it's still, like, this is where I, I, I disagree with the Paul take is because I do feel like a lot of Paul's blame on the situation was, like, he was just kind of alleviate, alleviating anything like Nico did was – fine and then like the official was the one that's the wrong and the pdj mm-hmm. the one that's in the wrong when i think we can disagree on what the, the outcome was but i don't yeah. think we can agree on the situation so like i do see the take of like if you can't afford a fine or you can't afford to miss tournaments then you really need to be on your best behavior when you're out on tour i get that but if we are talking about like what's fair and what's not those lower level guys like, I think the $5,000 fine kills them. They're mm-hmm. off. And I think also extending the suspension to six months or something also kills them. So, it might, yeah. So, like, I don't know. I'm just saying, that- like, if we, go, if we go $500 fine, that's basically two event entry fees. That also would knock some players off tour. But then it's such a small fine for the top players that where's the might, penalty there? I have to start that way. <laughs> I think you might have to. That's where I was just thinking of, like, ways that's going to resonate with each player and it's like an either or because it might be like hey you know what i'm gonna just pay the five grand so i can keep touring or all right i gotta find a job for six months maybe you do something where it's like you have to supply water for one of the practice days <laughs> you become <laughs> oh that'd be funny you're the next event you have to oh, you have volunteer. to work for the pro tour volunteer your time at the yeah it's a mandatory community service, not a suspension. You have to wear, you have to wear like the dunce hat that they yeah. used to make people wear back in we'll school. Just make, we'll make a suspension shirt that says like, I I'm, I'm didn't choose to be here or something like that. Yeah. People just know, uh, oh man, that guy got public, suspended last week. Public communication always makes people not want to uh, mess up. So Yeah. Maybe that's All the right, so I think that's the Nico situation. Obviously, there's still the inter- you're always going to have people on different sides and and i yeah. think at the end of the day i don't think there is a clear cut like this is definitely what should have happened but you know i think moving forward i think the dis- the decision that everyone needs to make p- players as well as fans and stuff is like what do we want to keep 
um, like what's the of being like, this is okay to do. This is not okay to do. Um, because mm-hmm. I was actually very interested in seeing how, you know, a lot of people were, def- you know, Paul coming from a baseball background, he might have the notion of like getting up into an umpire's face is fine. Yeah. I don't, I don't agree with it, but there might be people out there also that are like, no, I want to see players get up into uh, umpires of faces and stuff like that. I want to see that. That's where I think people need to kind of figure out what they want to see and what they don't want to see. Yeah, that's a great point. Now I do want to get into Ledgestone a little bit. Uh, I don't know if you want to run us through your play at all. Obviously making the cut. You, you, yeah, you had us on the edge of our seat. We're watching the, the cut, cut line? I saw someone. I was watching the cut line hard. Someone posted in man. I think it was in the Foundation Nation group, and said something about you missing the cut. And I commented, I was like, I don't know, man. Northwood's black. That cut line's moving. And then sure enough, it just kept moving closer and closer and closer to you until you were within the cut line. Um, that that that's, the finishing of that course is so good because. The front nine is loaded with like scoring opportunities, right? So you definitely want if you're if you're mm-hmm. gonna go low, unless you're Calvin that shot six under on the back, which is absolutely insane. If you're gonna go low at Northwoods, you gotta stack up birdies early, right? On that front nine. And then kind of in that section of like hole eleven, even hole ten is kind of tricky a little bit, but definitely hole like eleven through fifteen, that's where it's like hang on as hard as you possibly can. Like if you can get to like mm-hmm. 11 through 15, even par, I think everyone on tour would take that. And then 16 and 17 birdie chances, 16, very tough. I wish there was maybe some OB on 16. Um, Cause 16, I do think is tough to make a bogey. Um, but that is one of the holes where one of the few holes where you step up and you're like, I need to try to get a birdie on this hole. 17, yeah. Um, they didn't make it easier by like not making it so much of like an Island. They kind of took out the OB short, which I actually think mm-hmm. is a pretty, I actually like the change, but 17 is another one where it's like, if I throw one good shot here, I can make a birdie. If I throw one bad shot here, I'm instantly making a bogey. So like those two down the wire, are pretty nice. And then 18 is just a tough hole. 18 is a really tough, really tough birdie and not as tough to just somehow find yourself having a 40-footer for, for par. So I think 18 is a good finishing hole as well. And yeah, like obviously going into that round, I knew that I needed – I felt like I needed to get to three over – or sorry, I felt like I needed to get to two over to for sure solidify myself in. Mm-hmm. I thought three over was going to be like the – Mm, I might need, I might get in, but I'm going to need a lot of help. It turned out that four over actually what I ended up finishing. Um, four over was good enough to make it into Sunday. But uh, yeah, I was playing 18. At, I was four over for the tournament at 18. I think I was, what was I? Uh, I was even par, I think, for the, ter- for the round. And I was playing 18 with the idea of like, I need to birdie this to basically get in. Um, so I went super aggressive off the tee. Didn't work out, got into some trouble, went super aggressive again, didn't work out, got into some trouble, threw like my my pink ringer on this crazy like flip line, whatever, to get to somehow to get to 40 feet. And at that point, like these are all things where I think having the cut 
having a cut is also super beneficial for like players at my level too, because I was able to have one of the most pressured putts, probably the most pressured putt of the tournament. I'm sure there was other people. I know like some other people had similar putts on 18 to make the cut, but like Ricky never had a pressure putt on eight on uh like he was up by what a couple coming into the last stretch. Yeah, I mean he double bogeyed seventeen, but it wasn't it wasn't enough to make it even close on okay. Eureka. Okay, so like he what he didn't have a situation, but like sometimes like you do have those pressure putts like coming down to like I need to make this putt to win, or I need to make this putt to yeah. make sure that whatever. Like I had that even though I was in fifty ninth place, and so I think that's mm-hmm. also a good thing for for like the mid-level guys as well of where we can get some work and practice of like playing that round. Cause obviously going into the third round, we all know we have no chance of winning. Like, yeah. Well, what am I going to do? Shoot 18 under at Northwoods and then shoot <laughs> at Eureka. Okay, sure. Um, so like, it is a nice thing to have of like having that pressure of like, if I play well, I get to play tomorrow. If I don't, I go home. And so, yeah, I had that 40 footer knew that, I had to make it to give some sort of a chance and uh, ended up making it. And then, yeah, I was staring at Udis for the next hour and a half. And I was just like watching people fall down the leaderboard left and right, which is not people just slowly trickled down. Not hard to do out there. It's not hard to do. Yeah. um, Now, Northwoods uh, is an interesting one because like I had the take on Griplock that I don't think the Pro Tour should come back there until the coverage gets solved because... Mm. FPO final round we we don't we don't get to watch until the back nine MPOs round two and three we don't get to watch till the back nine so where do you think the line is as a player on the pro tour where the as a player obviously Northwoods Black Eureka Temp they're great compliments to each other makes the event one of the more special events but as a fan and obviously you can watch it on Jomez Gatekeeper all of that but the pro tour is asking us to be paid subscription subscribers to watch live coverage mm-hmm. and then we don't get half the round live how much do you think the Pro Tour should cater to viewers versus catering to players in a scenario like Northwoods? I mean, that's definitely an interesting one. You know, they have to... I think it's tough because there aren't, there aren't that many, like, pro-level wooded courses out there. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I quickly put, I quickly put Northwoods... Black, and I didn't really have that much say on Northwoods Gold. I played it once, two years ago. Yeah. And I yeah. might was just like i mean i was just i hadn't i had no business being out there playing that course so <laughs> now now that I, I think i'm at a level to where i can actually have a decent idea about course design and how the course plays for professionals that i mean one round through northwoods black and i was like this is a top three wooded course it's right up there with mm-hmm. Doug jackson right up there with new london um and that's where it's tough because it's like after that, I haven't played GMC or Maple Hill, so I, I'm excluding Brewster and I'm excluding Maple Hill because I haven't played those yet. But when you have like a small list of courses that are like at that level, it is tough. I think from the Pro Tour side, it's tough to also just like be like deuces, we're out, and then also Ledgestone just being as you know having the the history that it has there. And all the money that it brings in and all that, I think it's also hard for the pro tour to just say like deuces, I'm out. So I can mm-hmm. see it from a spectator's from a fan standpoint, it sucks. It's yeah. awful. Like it's awful. You can't 
Yeah. That's like, that's like, uh, that's like me watching the Tour de France back in the day. Like I didn't realize that one of the uh, smaller networks actually just had the Tour de France all, like start to finish. So like, I only thought, I can't remember what it was, but it was like, it was either NBC or ES. It was like one of the bigger networks. I thought like that was the only way I could watch the Tour de France. And like, you would go into it with like an hour left of the race. And then they mm-hmm. would show highlights of what happened three, four hours previously during the race. It wasn't until I found out about this like other channel that I could like, wait, I can wake up at six o'clock in the morning. And I can watch the start to the end. Like that, yeah. the whole viewing experience for me. I love that so much more. And I think it's probably equivalent to here where I think there are some people that are like, yeah, just give me the highlights, whatever. It's not that big of a deal. But the people that are like the diehard fans that want to see everything, it's, it's, a, it's a bad product. It's not a good product. And that's where I think it's tough for the Pro Tour of like, how do we make it work? Because clearly it's an incredible course. But how do you, how do you give a product off that is um, at the level that you want to your paying subscribers. Exactly. Yeah, I think it's the the key is paying subscribers cuz like if it was a free product, then it is what yeah. it is. I wouldn't be that upset, but like you have people paying to watch live disc golf. It's arguably one of the biggest pro tour stops of the year, the one of the hardest courses of the year as well. Like I I want to see that. And then obviously like I said, I can go watch Jomez and stuff, but on Jomez or on Gatekeeper, you're not getting the full story of the round because you're watching one card or the other. You're not getting Coriolis is super hot three cards back or whatever's going on that's what I want that's how I personally enjoy consuming disc golf and that's also how I'm paying to consume disc golf so and the final round for FPO like I said you don't get the full story there at all and so it was very frustrating and it's like yeah because it's the final round at least for MPOs round two and three where it's like story building rounds but it's not the the climax of the event Mm -hmm. for FPO first round FPO not a huge deal because like people are everyone's starting even so like you're not really missing that much you're missing the feature cards but you're not really missing that much final Final. round it's like that's what you got to be watching and of course like northwoods too you could have someone that like is in contention to win and then you tune in and they're like yeah they're out and you're just like what exactly how they get exactly how they get there so yeah i can i can definitely see how that can be frustrating but again Mm -hmm. it's where I don't know how to fix it. Like, I don't know what they need to do or how to. Th- I, I, I don't either. That's what I didn't. I, yeah. Go ahead. I was just saying, I just don't know where it's a decision where the Pro Tour slash Disc Golf Network, because obviously the same same entity to a certain extent, they just have to make a decision of like, what's the priority? Is the priority the event and the players, or is our priority the spectating of the event with the live viewers at home? Because like. If the, if the priority is the players, then it rolls on and we do the best we can with the viewership at home. I still think there's options they could do uh, where you still go live at the beginning and are just fed you know, highlights and it's more of like an analysis thing going on. I think there's options. But if the priority is the paying subscribers, then you can't go to Northwoods until the coverage is there. Like the, Those are the two options, I think. What if, what if they did... What if they did this... What if they went live? Because I know they were going like live later than normal, right? What if they went live yes. normal time and they were just showing people that had earlier tea times on the back nine, right? 
And then once they kind of got the footage of the players on the front nine, maybe they maybe they get like one or two guys that film front nine stuff, and they bounce to the whatever, send that over while other people are still filming, and they kind of switch. So they can kind of like, it's not as delayed, but still delayed highlights of what's going on the front nine. Yeah, that's exactly what while, I think should happen. Yeah, while you're watching what's actually happening right now, on the back nine from yeah, like, like when early they, cards when they go live on the back nine they're able to show us highlights of what happened on the front nine you see little glimpses of like this is what paul was doing ricky whoever this is what they were doing on the front nine so so they have a way to get those glimpses obviously so to me i think you go live and you just have like two analysts right and they're talking about like the round we're about to watch all of this blah 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 then you start pulling in some highlights from the front nine, and you're like, wow, so-and-so's having a great round. Let's actually hop into them live on hole 12. Let's see how yeah. they're playing hole 12. You're watching hole 12. While that's going on, lead card's paying two and three, and you're getting that footage uploaded however you need to. So then you're like, all right, while that was happening on hole 12, here's what happened with so-and-so on two and three. And it's more of like a storytelling mm-hmm. until you get to the back nine. Yeah. I'm happy with that. That solves it for me. But like just not going live. Like MPO didn't go live till six o'clock. FPO, it was um they ten like one o'clock Eastern or something like that. And just yeah. you're, you're you're watching on UDisc and you're seeing all this stuff happening and you're just like, I want to watch it live, but I'm missing literally half the round. That that what happened and it's happened for several years, I don't think that's the solution at all. I think there is a solution, but I think they gotta figure it out before next year, for sure. Uh, so obviously now we're rolling into Des Moines. You're out there. You last year you said Des Moines was one of your favorite events of the year, correct? Oh, the crowd out here, the crowd for for how many people show up, they are loud. They are um very knowledgeable disc golfers as well. So they know when there's a good shot, they know when it's a bad shot. Like this was definitely as far as an event goes, this was definitely one of my favorites to play last year. And also just the courses. You guys, you guys would mm-hmm. love the course. It's the equivalent, the best way for me to explain it for you guys is like, it's like Falling Creek Golds on steroids. It's like, it's a really, Heck yeah. it's a really freaking good course. I, I, there are courses that we have on tour that you, you know, W.R. Jackson, Northwoods Black, like courses that, I would say if these were in my area, if I lived near these courses, like I would, I would practice here all the time. I would just come here and practice all the time, not just because it's good practice, but also because it's really fun. And there are some courses where, you know, any of the Las Vegas challenge courses, like those are courses where it's like, if I lived in the area, maybe I go out there and play once in a while, but I'm not like, I'm not very interested in playing those courses. Des Moines is one of the ones that I would play all the time. It is yeah is a lot of fun to play all the time. It has so many different shots that it requires you to throw. Um, it's got a great mixture of like long par four or long par threes, short par threes. It's got a couple island green holes where it puts a little pressure on you. Has um, two really good par fives. I wish eighteen. The only thing I'll say is like with eighteen, I think it would be sweet because it is a sick par five. But I think like AB might have been like the only one that was like somewhat close to like going for it. And I don't even think he would ended up getting that close if I remember correctly. But it is so uphill for your initial tee shot that 
if they were somehow to like build like almost like a platform like you see in diving, right? Where we have to like walk up a spiral staircase like 30 feet to where we can throw up really high. I think then that hole becomes a hole where you can play super aggressive and go for the eagle. But also the risk is there of where you can mess up and throw a B and have to take it back really, really far. So 18 is an incredible finishing hole as a par five. It's just you can't get an eagle right now at all, essentially. Mm-hmm. So I would that would make that hole just so much better if there was some sort of way of like throwing two risky shots to yeah. try to go. But it's a great course, man. I don't know how how well it does filming wise. I don't know what it, if it if it uh, if it does a good job, you know, on live to like show how awesome of a course it is. But it's a it's a fun one. Nice. Yeah, I feel like it did last year. Um, I don't remember too too much about it. I remember some of the signature, um, like signature holes of the course. But I'm I'm definitely excited to watch it again this year. We're gonna do the preview show on Grip Locked thursday because it starts on friday so we're gonna do the preview show on thursday get all the all the details and stuff like that out but i remember you you were talking a lot about it last year hyping it up mainly because of the crowd but also like you were saying you were saying the course but uh anything anything else any other storylines that i'm missing i mean it'll be interesting too like this year obviously with it being right before worlds last year it was a very limited field this year, everyone's here. So I think it's also going to add a little That's bit. A great point. Too, That's a great point. Last year, it was kind of a little bit under the radar. I was just watching coverage. And the lead card, uh, the final day lead card was Paul, Raven Newsom, Gavin Rathbun. Yeah. Um, oh, man. I'm blanking on the fourth guy. Oh, I can literally see his face. Um, oh, I'll man. Hold up. I don't I feel remember like either. Literally just watch this. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it, a, lot of, a lot of the top name people last year, I think, I don't know what the timing was last year. I just don't think it was good timing. So I think was a lot it of. Ben people, Calloway? It was Ben Calloway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly what it was. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, so yeah, there there wasn't the the field wasn't and again like the funny thing is is if you told me that was the lead card this weekend I wouldn't be surprised it wouldn't yeah, be like, oh my just, gosh no one's there like just with how crazy the pro tour has gotten now to where people mm-hmm. people just sneak in they don't even sneak yeah. in there's just a lot of good disc golfers now um, but like. I think that shows from like last year, if you look at that lead card versus lead cards of every other tournament, essentially, you can kind of see like, ah, where like did Calvin have a bad day? Did like Chris Dickerson, did Eagle, Ricky, like where is everyone? They just weren't there, I don't think. So um Calvin, I'm yeah, Calvin was there, he just shredded the final round to get get up in there. So he wasn't on the Oh, lead Calvin card. was there. Yeah. He finished in second, I believe I just saw. But oh, he no, shot he like did. 51 he or something. Did. Yeah, he sh- yeah, I do remember that. He shredded the final day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I stand corrected. But yes, it wasn't, it wasn't as big of a field, as deep of a field as, it, as other Elite Series events last year. But this year it will be. And honestly, every tournament from here on out, excluding the Silver Series, which is I think is like the Pis- Pittsburgh Open. Pittsburgh one. Yeah. Every tournament here on out is going to be very important. Very. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. It's like how points are because obviously it's still just a pro tour event, 
it's not playoffs yet, but it's the last true pro tour event before the playoffs. Like, is there added pressure of any any kind? Because you have the major, which has more points. You have a silver series, which if you need points from the silver series, it's probably going to be a little rough because silver series don't get you that many points, unfortunately. Yeah. But realistically, this is your one of the last chances to get inside the cut line. Do you think that there's a lot of players that's adding extra pressure going into it? I mean, I think, again, I think this has a lot to do with the purse of the Tour Championship, right? The Tour Championship yeah. is very new, so there isn't, like, the prestige that is built up. Like, Nathan Queen winning the presti- uh, winning the Tour Championship last year didn't do nearly as much as if he would have won Worlds, USHC, or European Open, right? Yes. But yeah. his paycheck, or his uh, bank account, his bank account doesn't care. Like he's very happy that he won that. So I think from a player standpoint, everyone realizes how important it is to get into the playoffs. And this is the first year that the playoffs existed too. So that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. But yeah, I mean like Mm -hmm. going into the final day of Ledgestone, like I was playing ultra aggressive because getting 50th place didn't matter. Getting 49th didn't matter. 48th. Nope. 47th. Nope. 46th. Nope. 45th. Nope. I need to get 43rd or better because yeah. outside of that doesn't matter. I'm not getting any points. So I think you're going to see that too from some guys of where it's like, you got it. You got to You got to play a little bit differently now because it's no longer, let me play safe and try to finish as high on the leaderboard as possible. It's like you, you got like, if I don't get, if I don't get better than 44th at this tournament, it, it, it is essentially a meaningless tournament to me. Because yeah, didn't some, do anything. Some players, yeah, I mean, some players that I believe. Let me make sure these players are registered. They are. Um, that's going to be interesting to watch. Important is uh, Chandler Kramer currently outside the cut for the Pro Tour Championship, or as of right now. Obviously, you have the the playoffs and stuff coming in. Is he um, outside Connor the, O'Reilly? Are these outside the play-in, or these are the play-in people? These are outside of the play-in. Outside the play-in. Interesting. Okay. Yes. So he's in 37th. Marweed is the cut for the play-in at 36th. Um, so Chandler Kramer, Connor O'Reilly, Nicholas Antia, Antela. Sorry, I keep saying Antia. Vino Makala. Nate Sexton's an interesting one. He's outside the cut. He's not registered for Des Moines. He is registered for Worlds. Mm-hmm. So that'll be interesting to watch. But there, there's a lot of good players that you can, you know, these next few tournaments are really going to be telltale of do they even make that that play-in event and then there is also the sideline of like chandler fry greg barsby eagle that are right now on the bubble of getting past the play-in and into the actual uh like you're just straight up qualified you don't have to do the play-in event so it's definitely going to be uh interesting to interesting to watch as this shakes up and i think the playoffs are going to give a lot i think it's gonna be more exciting this year it's going to give gmc and maple hill a little bit more meaning um then I mean obviously they already had meaning, but a little bit more because now you're really gonna be watching that cut line and how things shake up to see where players end up and do they even make it to the next event. Um, you know, I think I, I really like how the playoffs are, are lining up this year. Yeah. And we didn't really even discuss that much about Ledgestone as far as we probably should discuss a little I know obviously grip locked is you guys talked probably at length at it. But you know, Ricky getting his third win this year, I think yeah. that that clearly obviously elevates him above everyone else um, for being like basically the player of the year, essentially, right? It's hard, hard to give it to anyone else at this point. Um, at this point, it, yeah. It will be interesting 
one one factor would be interesting like if eagle wins european open and if he wins worlds you're gonna have so many people being like oh he would have won like 10 times if he played this year so you're gonna have if eagle gets another major win if he wins worlds or usdgc is he playing he is I would imagine. I mean, I don't know why you'd play Worlds and not USDGC. Okay. I think he's just pl- basically playing the majors. So if he can come in and he wins European Open and then Worlds or USDGC, and like that's basically what he did for the year, it- it's a valid argument of like, could he be Player of the Year? Because like, but he didn't really like he lost some of the beginning of the year and he was hurt. But like when the lights are brightest, I he think won. Yeah. It- it'll be it'll be weird. It'll be it's, weird. It would play so well for him because he wouldn't have to say anything, but everyone would be like. Oh, bro! Eagle played every tournament. He's he he went like seven times. So yeah, it'd be fascinating. It'd be fast, and it's realistic because DDO is going to play, which basically worlds. Uh, that's gonna play well for Eagle. So like Eagle on those courses, it's it's those are gonna play decently for him. So he has a shot at worlds, and he's obviously done very well at USDGC in the past. So he has a strong shot there. You know, if he's able to just put some stuff together it's not unrealistic to think he walks away with one of the other two and if he wins two majors two of the four majors in a year i mean that's pretty unprecedented that's that'd be something so but as of right now yeah there's there's no argument against rick and in my opinion i think ricky's the favorite to win uh worlds he won ddo somewhat handedly he's won worlds there before I, I think he's he's by far the favorite right now, but it will be a much different tournament because the wind will be drastically less if the weather stays true. Did uh did anyone did you guys talk about anyone like surprising you at Ledgestone or anyone because I think Ledgestone is also a, a, a tournament that because of the, due to, the two different playing styles of like a hev- like the hardest wooded course ever right mm-hmm. play on tour and then a very hard open course in the sense of like if you're off if you're not playing well you can take huge numbers at eureka but Mm -hmm. it is a course where like northwoods if you're playing well northwoods that doesn't guarantee that you're going to shred it if you're playing well at eureka you're going to shred so yeah was there anyone that you guys were surprised with how well they did at that and was there anyone that you were shocked of like oh man that person missed the cut or, oh, wow, that person wasn't even in the, qua- the equation all week. Yeah, I was surprised by two players in particular. One, uh, Anthony Barella. I was more surprised. I, was, I thought that he was going to crack in round three. Going into round three with a chance at Northwoods, not a course that you would think AB, it's going to be like a super AB-friendly course, and he held it together. Obviously, he didn't end up winning, which I was hoping he was going to selfishly. I love AB. Um, he ended up struggling a little bit on Eureka. I was surprised that he stayed in contention through three rounds. Another player that's been surprising me as of late somewhat, because I feel like he's just someone people didn't really know too much about. I had heard about him previously from Florida stuff, but uh, Randon Lada, I believe is how you say his name. Yeah, I played Randon Lada. Last, last year. He, he's a very solid player, and he's been having some decent finishes as of late. Um, so he somewhat surprised me to get up in the mix. He tied for eighth here. He was... I believe, let me look here, 15th at D-Glow. Um, Both of those are, are impressive finishes. So, And also, he I don't know if you saw his outfit, but like he rocked a like super old-school golf outfit. The hat. Like a, with the hat and like the four. I, I loved it. So got some style points there. Player that negatively surprised me was Dickerson. I really thought 
with Northwoods being the course that basically you need to win or lose at, really thought Dickerson was going to be a lot more in contention than he was. I think he ended up finishing 19th at eight under par. He lost by almost 20 strokes. Um, and the Dickerson we've seen all year, I, I really, I didn't pick him for my top three. I forget why. I think it just had a feeling. And luckily for me, points wise, my feeling was right. But if I was just looking at objectively a course and an event, I would say like, hey, Dickerson's going to do well here. So for him not to do well there, that really surprised me. Hmm. Um, those those are my three. What about you, Silas? I don't think you've said anything this whole podcast. Oh, yes. Anyone surprise you? Uh, again, AB. I I you know just yeah. getting into. I mean, I haven't been around the sport a whole lot, but he hasn't really been in contention a whole lot. So to to hear his name up there is is pretty impressive. And hope you know he seems like a cool guy. Hopefully, he stays up there. But yeah, yeah. That's kind of that's that's most of the. Who, who underperformed size? That's what people are really who want. Who underperformed? <laughs> you can say Brody if you want. Well, yeah. I, did, I did underperform, but. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think so. I think everyone would agree. Ooh, with I that. got well, another good one. I might have overperformed. I got another good one. Hunter, I might have overperformed since. I 100% overperformed since last Ledgestone that I played. Yes. Yes, but current year expectations were a little yeah. higher than than barely making the cut, at least yeah. on my end. No, no, I agree. Uh, this one another player, Simon well. Lazat, has has been Ooh. a little bit on the struggle bus recently. I didn't expect him to play well because I don't think Northwoods really suits his his game that much. But um, I think it does yeah. actually. Really? Yeah, playing with him, like he's very he he has like Northwoods is all about being able to just stay up. And again, like this is something that like when you watch live coverage and like they'll they'll give you like the three things you need to do on a course, like yeah. every single time they're like stay in the fairway, stay in the fairway. But this is actually a course that you it is way more important to throw like a three hundred and fifty foot shot in the fairway than throw a four hundred and fifty foot shot in the fairway. Like mm. it is way better to like take less risk and and throw something that you know you can throw straight and keep it in the yeah. fairway than trying to throw like a fairway driver further up and playing with Simon a couple times this year like he has that he has a, a really good mid-range game where he can throw those straight shots and he can throw that like also that fairway shot that like goes straight for 300 feet and then starts slowly breaking to the right like that's another yeah. very important shot to have um but I think these are if we played like if we played Northwoods and Eureka, if we played this tournament every other weekend, right? If we just came back every other weekend, I think you would be surprised with how sh- shooken up the, the leaderboard would be. It, no, yeah. would, it, it is a tournament where if you because I was talking about someone I was talking to someone about this the other day of where how scary it is going in and playing like a course where you just like don't have confidence in a certain throw. And this, these courses, like if you are struggling with your like hyzer flip or your, your forehand isn't where it needs to be, like you can't really hide. So Mm. those guys that are coming in and that are just not feeling a certain part of their game, they're going to get kind of exposed on these courses. And yeah, I, I, I think Simon, I think this course is a course like 
next year, if we come back and he wins by 10, I wouldn't be surprised. Interesting. Yeah. All right, well, you know, I have to take a mental note so that next year I can pick Simon to win by 10. Here's another, here's another question that we, we were talking about the other day uh, was trying to, like, if you are an owner of, you know, like a, a soccer Premier League, right? You've got scouts mm-hmm. all over the world looking at, like, young talent coming up. And you're, like, yeah. kids at, like, 13, 14, 15, right? Mm-hmm. Do you think you could point out local talent like that in disc golf? Yes. Really? Yeah. Interesting. I don't think you I can. Mean, I could, you don't think you don't think I could or just in general no one could. I think it'd be very hard. It'd be very hard to like be able to to look at results of like local kids and be like No, you couldn't use just results. You have to watch them throw. You couldn't use just results. You have to okay. watch them. Well, okay. Are you are you under? Because we were kind of talking about power, right? We were talking about like distance, power, how to generate it, and we were trying, like, we were talking about how you know you watch some people and you're just like, you you might keep saying like, oh, they're when they get more muscle or like when they start figuring. And you start kind of keep saying like, oh, this is all that needs to happen. But they, they end up yeah. still not throwing further. Like they, they stay the same. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that is potentially the most important thing when you're like looking at, if you're looking at like a 13 year old, mm-hmm. I think it's tough. I don't know. I'd be looking at, I'd be looking at three things. I'd be looking at their actual backhand and forehand form. So the basics of it. Okay. Because like if it's something where they have really good timing and stuff, then yeah, you're right. It's just like you got to develop. But if there's something else holding them back, that's going to be a weird one. But like Gannon Burr, for instance, he's had basically the same form and it's been a good form for a long time. So it was pretty obvious he was eventually going to be able to throw far. Uh, Then I would look at their putting stroke. He throws far enough, but I wouldn't say he throws far. But he throws far enough to compete, which you could have predicted Gannon Burr was going to be you, you could have predicted Gannon Burr was going to be this good. You couldn't have predicted he was going to be this good this early, Do you but think, you could predict he was going to be this good. I, maybe, this is a question I need to ask Gannon. Like, I want to ask him, like, three years ago, were you throwing just essentially just as far as you're throwing now? Because No, he wasn't. That's, he said, he, when he came up, he said, uh, I forget when he started throwing, but he was, he was throwing far, but not as far. Because I think that is, like, you could have someone that could just, crush local tournaments throwing like 350 feet right mm-hmm. at the age of like 13 or 14 or 15 or whatever right i think it's tough to t- be able to tell whether or not that person when they get older is going to be able to throw 500 feet or not well no you but think- i think the third thing would be the most important which is the shot selection because if they're throwing 350 feet and they're dominating local tournaments, but it's because they have a full flex shot. That's why I can't look at you can't look at just scores. Because if they're doing it with a full flex shot with a driver, and it's like, okay, yeah, they're throwing 350, but like, are they ever gonna be able to throw that far? Versus if they're able to just like throw flip ups with a fairway, and the reason they're not throwing 500 is they just don't understand quite yet how to get a disc to do what a disc needs to do to go that far. But their shot selection is like they're throwing 350 and if that shot selection just gets to 400 they're on the same level as the pros then and also the shot selection in tough situations like if a player you can't teach understanding of the game like if a player understands 
like when to be aggressive, stuff like that. They're going to make mistakes, obviously. But yeah, I think watching a player's watching a player's understanding of the game and shot selection on the tee, shot selection in the middle of the fairway, and then their putting stroke and their backhand form. I think you could very not a hundred percent accurately, but you could very quickly tell that player's got potential or like it's going to take a lot of work for that player to get from 15 year old them to 20 year old world champ. Versus like Gannon. Basketball. I would say, I would say slightly harder because the way you're watching them, it's so course dependent. Cause like if the only place you can watch a, a player is a course like falling Creek, they might look incredible but you might be missing when you put them in the woods, they really struggle X, Y, or Z, a basketball court to basketball court. So like the competition might make them look better or worse, but there's some things where like if a player does something, regardless of competition, you're like, okay, that's special. And the basketball court, you're not going to move them to Madison Square Garden and the rim height change. But you move someone from Falling Creek to Northwoods Black and a lot changes. So I think, it, I think it'd be harder because the, the surroundings, if that makes sense. I think the mental side too of yeah like obviously you use you do see this sometimes in other sports of where like you know players do crack but i think a lot of that is more of like the effort i think you know you get these big uh you get these big uh contracts and stuff and maybe they're not putting in as much time as they used to but i think it's harder to crack under the pressure in sports that move very fast of where you're doing Absolutely. a lot more reactionary stuff than sports that are very slow, like disc golf. And so that is another like outside factor of where it's like it's tough to tell whether or not someone has it or not until they're kind of put into that situation. Because you could have someone that's just like it's way easier going into a tournament knowing like I can play bad and beat everyone. Right? Mm-hmm. That takes a lot of that pressure off versus going into a tournament where now you're just one fish in the pond of many. And yeah. it'd be interesting to see how that goes. But yeah, I think I think it's definitely I'm curious to see here what size has to say, but I think it's definitely harder to look at a 15 year old disc golfer and be able to tell whether or not they're gonna be successful on a pro tour and a 15 year old basketball player and be able to tell whether or not they're gonna be successful on the pro on the uh, on in the NBA just simply because of like how much athleticism comes into, you know, if you do have like a, a six foot ten, six foot eight, fifteen year old that's just an athletic freak, you're like, okay. Well you can take like a, take a look at the competition. It was, it was easy Zion was the easiest pick of all time. Like you're like as like, long as he stays healthy and as long as he keeps practicing, he's going to be in the NBA. Um, where disc golf, I agree with you where it would be tough to, it'd be, it'd be tough to do that. All right. Size. Why is it? Yeah. Look at the competition. I mean, if the, if the, you know, if I'm, if I'm six foot in, in eighth grade and I'm just dunking on everyone on my, you know, little tiny school, that's, that's got, that's not going. What the heck? Why not? No, because like I had going to saying that there's like less competition in disc golf, so there's a better chance that someone that's good younger is going to oh, get into well, disc that's golf. That's a good point. Out, I thought that's what you're like the the amount of like good like basketball kids growing up that are in AAU and all that stuff, traveling teams way outnumbers the amount of good kids that are playing. Oh, absolutely. So like that's what I thought you were going. I don't but think in basketball the like if you if yeah yeah. Like, Clear to see. If you're playing against I, a trash team, like 
it, like a, a good player, obviously, yeah, they're going to drop 40 on a trash team, but you'll be able to tell how they dropped 40. Because like, if they dropped 40, because like, like there was a guy um, that I played against, he was a seven footer and he went to a local school and he's seven feet tall. Like you think this guy's go and he dominated our league because we're all small schools, but you could tell when he was playing, he's not going to go, he's not going to do anything. Like you could tell by his footwork. Like the reason he's dominating is because he's seven foot and it's just coming to him, and he's just if he had someone up. If he had someone roughly the same size as him, or even just yeah. close to him, he's probably not doing anything. Exactly, because like I was in high school, I'm the same height as I am now, five ten, five eleven. I had to guard him sometimes because I was oh the only one who's physical. But he, I he could get him. How many times like, did he three or four about? times? Three, or, but <laughs> but his dunks were weak, so it was no nowhere near as the most embarrassing time I got dunked on. But I could box him out and stuff. That's what I'm saying is like you could tell he wasn't going to like go into the NBA and stuff because like he would he'd be able to score on me very easily because he's seven feet tall. But I could handle him down low. Like I could push him off the block and stuff. Was he like, a gentle, shouldn't happen? Was he like a gentle guy? Yeah, he was just he was he was Slenderman. Like he he didn't have any meat on his bones and he didn't know but, how to, he wasn't he hadn't grown to his body. Okay, hey, here's a here's a a topic. Is it better to be tall? Or is it better to be muscular in disc golf? In like disc golf, tall. Or like tall. 100% tall. Because you've got really tall disc golfers that are really good, and you've got really, you've got really built it's disc golfers. It's more lanky. That are really it's not good. necessarily really tight. built. It's, good to be lanky. it's not tall. Huh? Eh. Like, like Ezra. He's not that tall. Is he? Yeah, he is. He's like, like six two, foot. Six three. Oh. He's taller than I thought. Also, you Mus- muscles in disc back. golf. Oh. <laughs> Yeah. Or like Drew Gibson. Drew Gibson's like bigger. He's not built. Well, I, I think in general, if you just take, a, if you took a really muscular person and introduced them to disc golf post muscle, they're going to have a lot harder time throwing because in general, muscles are going to make you slower. But if you take a disc golfer and build them muscle around disc golf, like Ezra built his muscle while playing disc golf, then it, it aids him. But I don't, I don't think his muscle is the reason he plays so good. I also don't know if Silas knows what a muscular person looks like. Ezra's a muscular person. No way around that. Drew uh, Gibson, I no offense to Drew, I would not call him a muscular person. I don't I don't even know if I would I would I don't even know if I would call Ezra muscular. Like I would consider Oh, come on. Hear me out. Hear me out. I would consider Ezra very lean and in shape. Yes. But like to me, like if you're saying muscular. To me, that's like an outside linebacker in in football. You're thinking like a power lifter, muscular. Like the reason why Ezra looks muscular is because of the people he's up against. Well, no. Ezra does not lift. Ezra does not lift to try to be big. Ezra lifts to be in shape and to be powerful and to be strong and fast. If he's still muscular. Huh? He's still muscular though. Like he's still big. He's not big in comparison to like big that's what i'm saying but it, in comparison it, to your average person he's big it yes but to your average athlete he's not like he is he because i think if ezra did do that like he could totally if ezra wanted to he could totally lift weights to like compete in bodybuilding competitions right like if yeah. he wanted to he could totally do that but i that i don't think and i think he knows this like getting big like getting a huge chest getting massive back getting massive legs like i don't think that's actually beneficial in disc golf if anything that's going to like no. decrease your flexibility which is what you kind of need that range of motion so like 
when you were talking about muscular, I think, again, I think it's all compared, like comparative, like Ezra is a muscular person in disc golf. Ezra would not be a muscular person in other sports. Same thing as I'm a tall person in disc golf. I would not be a tall person in basketball. Does that make sense kind of thing? But so like taking Silas's point, to me, muscular, I'm now thinking like, okay, a linebacker playing disc golf, like a six-foot, 230-pound linebacker playing disc golf, or like a Chet Hogren in basketball. Where yeah. Like, what, what is he, like seven-something, seven-two? I mean, yeah, but you got to pick someone like at least coordinated. Oh, okay. So, okay, so like... I maybe, hate Chet. Maybe, I, I hate that guy. Maybe... <laughs> He's coordinated. That guy can get up and down the court. So maybe I like I just a, can't stand him. Maybe like a six foot six like volleyball player where they're yeah. not they're yeah. not super bulky, but I guess that's they got the, a lot of snap. Yeah, I'm taking the six foot six guy over like the the power lifter, probably. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. But that would be a great video. Honestly, I would love to see that. It would be power power lifter first. I'm trying to think of like another like lean sport where like everyone's oh like oh you know um high jump. There you go. Take a I don't know that you need hand eye coordination. Powerlifters don't have hand eye. Well, I, I was thinking linebacker. Okay, that's why I said powerlifter. So you go powerlifter, yeah. high jump. Both both which don't fair. do anything with hand eye coordination. That would be really cool to see. Now I did play the... Oh, go ahead. The high jumper is definitely winning because like a lot of disc golf power comes from your legs, and like they'd be lean and they'd have really fast leg muscles. So, so like, you think the no high doubt. jumper is throwing further than the power lifter? No doubt. We're not. We're not talking. Are we about- saying just like straight up first time on the course, just chuck a disc? Or are we saying you have like a month to no, throw yeah. and learn your disc? Yeah, because I think I think what we're doing here is we can't be doing like playing disc golf because one might just be much better. At- no, yeah, it's yeah, just like who's throwing farther. Who's throwing further? So I think it's almost like we give them a quick like 10-minute tutorial of like how to throw, let them be athletes and like practice it for like 30 minutes, and then boom, distance contest. Yeah, I think I think the I think the long jumper, high jumper, whatever is crushing. Yeah, I think so. That'd be a great video though. That would be a great video. All right. Well, I think that about wraps it up. That's debate night. Uh, hopefully you all enjoyed uh thank you all so much for tuning in we'll be back same time same place next week after the final official pro tour event of the year start getting ready for the world championships it's crazy that it's already already about that time if you want to uh worlds we're gonna have our companion stream going on during the final round we did it last year obviously it was electric um it'll be on our main channel if you want to catch that we'll have a lot of stuff on the line we'll keep talking about it as we get closer and closer but it's a fun thing to have pulled up while you're watching the live coverage and um believe that's it we'll talk to you all next week